Well, thanks so much. It's great to be with you. Real joy. I don't say that uh, carelessly. I love the worship. I love the relationships that are so obviously here, uh, which you could see last night, and uh, the way I've been given hospitality over the night. It's just a, a great family, and uh, the joy of the Lord in your midst is very evident. So thanks so much for inviting me. It's great fun to be with you. I pray I can be a blessing to you uh, in the Word. I'm going to be speaking to you from John's Gospel and uh, John chapter 13 initially, just one verse there, and then into John 14. And uh, we'll see what God has for us in the Word there. John 13 and verse 33. I I use the New American Standard Bible. I've been doing it for a long time. Uh, So you may find here and there a word may differ, but it won't be significant. It won't be much different. Uh, so I'm just going to read John 13:33, and then into chapter 14. Little children, I'm with you a little while longer. You'll seek me, and as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I'm going, you can't come. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Do you know the way where I'm going? Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you'd known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. And it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been so long with you and you've not come to know me Philip he who has seen me has seen the father how can you say show us the father do you not believe I'm in the father and the father is in me the words I say to you I don't speak on my own initiative but the father abiding in me does his works believe me that I am in the father The Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Truly, truly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he'll do also. And greater works than these he'll do. Because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that I'll do. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I'll ask the Father. He will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world can't receive because it doesn't see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I'll not leave you orphans. I'll come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you'll see me. 
Because I live, you will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Father, thank you so much for these great truths we've been celebrating together this morning. We do celebrate you, Jesus. You've won our hearts, Lord. You've delivered us from the dominion of darkness. It's horrifying power to wreck us. We thank you for your wonderful deliverance. You've set us free. And Jesus, we applaud your great mercy. We're so grateful, Father. We thank you for giving us brothers and sisters, purpose and meaning, a hope for a glorious future with new heavens, a new earth, new bodies. Lord, all that lies before us, we, we're thrilled, God, to be introduced into your kingdom. And now, Father, as we open your word together, we ask for the help of the Holy Spirit. Now come, Holy Spirit, rest upon us. Let what we do now know the energy of God in it, the sense of hearing God together, the sense of being exposed to the reality of God in his word. Come, Father, do us good, we pray. Take us on today in our knowledge of you and in our usefulness for you, that your kingdom may advance because we open the Bible in the presence of God together. So mighty spirit, rest upon us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, as believers, we make this uh, claim that we live in the presence of God. We know something of the presence of God. That's not a claim that many religions make, that we know God in our lives. We experience the presence of God. It's something unique, really, to our faith. Of course, it goes back into our Jewish roots, the roots of our faith going back into Israel, back to, for instance, Moses, who we're told one day was just looking after a few sheep, and then one day he saw a bush aflame with glory. And it didn't just burn up, it didn't just go up in smoke, which perhaps other bushes did sometimes in the intense heat. This one just kept on glowing with a kind of extraordinary fire that drew his attention and he investigated. And as he's looking at this bush and thinking, what is this phenomenon? A voice comes out of it and speaks to him, calls him by name, Moses. And wow, suddenly he's encountering God. Suddenly the God who watched over his birth protected him in terrible danger, seemed to be disinterested for years, never lost interest really, but came back into his life and began to speak to him and began to enlist him now. I said, now I've got a job for you. Go down uh, to Egypt and bring out my people, which by then are something like two million slaves uh, living, 600,000 men, the Bible says, women and children, usually thought about two million people, and now come and bring them back to this place. And we won't bother with the detail, but he went down and brought the two million. Uh, And if a bush was full of glory for one man, the whole mountain lit up for the nation. And it says there was lightning and thunder, and the mountain shook. And and it it says two million people heard the voice of God. Imagine standing in the wilderness and and hearing the Creator speak. I mean, they were terrified. They said to Moses, you go up and speak to him. You know, we need a mediator. You better go. And it says they heard a a trumpet. I mean, it wasn't one of these trumpets. I guess, uh, you know, one of these great horns. They heard it grow louder and louder. And it's kind of meeting God. Uh, And he makes covenant with them. 
And you get this wonderful language, out of Egypt I've called my son. And he talks about being betrothed to them, like you're, you're my bride, you're going to be my people. And this incredible engagement with God, and God's going to be with them now. He's brought them out that they might worship him, serve him, know him, and he might be with them. And, and God's only doing this with this people. He's, he's, not, he's not revealing himself at the same time in Bolivia and China and France. It's just here. These people are unique. This is God's plan. He spoke to Abraham before. He says, through your seed, I will ultimately bless all the families of the earth. And this is the next phase. These people coming out of slavery on into God's purpose. Now I'm going to manifest myself. I'm going to make covenant with you. I'm going to be your God. You will be my people. It's an incredible stage in God's plan of redemption. And as they're going on their way, sadly, there's a time when they say, Lord, because he says to them, look, they make a golden calf. They make a, a, a God and start worshiping. And God says, I'm not going with you anymore. I'm, I'm withdrawing. And, and Moses prays this wonderful prayer. Lord, if your presence doesn't go with us, we're not going anywhere. And, and a, Moses is a, a kind of model man of prayer in the Bible. It's like, Lord, you've got to go with us. You've got to go with us. And it says this to God. This is what makes your people distinct. That your presence goes with us. If your presence isn't going with us, what's the point? If your presence, we're just like anybody else. We're not different to anybody else. It's you being with us that makes us unique in the world. He argues and argues and God says, okay. And kind of says, okay, I'll go with you. I will continue with you. And in fact, not only will I go with you, you know, they're living in tents. It's like he says, I want a tent. Make me a tent. And they make this tent. Uh, which you read about. Uh, you find it particularly at the end of uh, Exodus. I'll read you a verse or two. Quite familiar stuff. It says, They erected the tabernacle and the altar, hung up the veil for the gateway of the court. Thus Moses finished the work, and the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting, because the cloud had settled on it. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. His God really coming down phenomenally on this tent, the tent of meeting, a tent where God will meet with them, particularly with Moses. And so we find, as you read the story, that Moses would go through the camp and the man would stand at his tent, the, the nation would stand and watch this man go through the camp and would go to the tent of meeting. And he'd come out and his face is shining. And he covers over his face this fading glory. And it's like, wow, God is, God is actually here with us. God is moving with us. He's got his tent, we've got our tent. And uh, the glory of the Lord's all over it. The presence of God is in the camp. He's amongst us. We're moving with God. There's this pillar of glory and there's this presence in this tent. This is, this is a phenomenal thing. There's a nation moving with God. Now, I'm sure that's the background to what John begins to write. We read, we read from John's Gospel a moment ago. And chapter 1 says, uh, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And when it says dwelt, the actual Greek word is tabernacled. He tabernacled amongst us. And then it says, We beheld His glory. 
So I'm sure when John's writing his introduction to his gospel, this is the backdrop of what he's thinking about. In the Old Testament, God, his glory came among them, and they saw his glory, and he tabernacled. He, he was in this tent, probably made of animal skins. Now we're looking at a human being. We're not talking about a, a, a sort of strange, enigmatic pillar of glory and, and, and a tent. No, this is, he's, he's, he's come amongst us. He's tabernacled. He's, Carson says this, God chose to make himself known finally and ultimately in a real historical man. When the word became flesh, God became man and pitched his tent among us. So God's amongst us. God's manifesting himself. And it says, we beheld his glory. John writes that. We beheld his glory. Now, it's a fascinating thing. it's, It's in this human being that they beheld glory. Now, it's interesting how it was first manifest. Remember the stories going on through John's gospel? It says the first sign that Jesus performed... And at the end of the story, it says, they saw his glory. And that's what, what was that story? What's the story of the wedding of Cana? A national, I thought it was just a domestic problem. See, Satan had different ideas. He said, if you're the son of God, do some sign at the temple. Hurl yourself down, you know, some dramatic sign. Now, Jesus, Jesus no, I'd rather do it at a party, thank you. Uh, at a wedding party. I don't want to do it at a wedding party. And Jesus, it says in the message, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. He's right in their lives. He's right. He said a wedding where it's chaos. I mean, they're going to run out of wine. And that would have been a tragedy. I mean, that's, do you remember that wedding? They ran out of wine. What a, what a wedding is that? I mean, it's going to be remembered as a disaster. And Jesus comes in and turns it into something phenomenal. Gallons of wine. Best wine you've ever had. He takes away the tragedy. He takes over. How does he solve it? He takes over. Mary says, whatever he says to you, do it. And the kingdom starts breaking out. He says, pour out water. Huh? Pour out water. Hmm. We haven't got a water problem, Lord. It's a wine problem. (laughs) Now fill the water pots. I don't understand. Which, Which word don't you understand? Fill the water pots. Do what I say, whatever I say. I'm going to bring in. I'm bringing in a kingdom. I'm bringing in a people who listen to me. Do what I do. I'll solve your problem. I'll take away the agony, the shame. I'll take away your shame, your sense of failure, your sense of I can't make it work. A kind of crisis under the surface that no one knows about. It's a great party. It's all fun, isn't it? Fun to be here under the surface. We're running out of wine. Just told one other person, told Mary, we're looming up for a tragedy. No one knows about it. Jesus, can you help? Well, he doesn't run out and get a few water pots. He doesn't run out and get some wine. I know where it's a wine shop. No, he takes over. He begins to bring in the kingdom in a, in a social setting, in a wedding, at a party. He solves the problem of the party. He solves the problem of a wedding, of a marriage. A marriage may be that's saying, I'm not sure if we're going to make it. The wine's run out. We come to times like that. I think, I don't know what's happening to us. It's, it's not like it was. We're running out. 
when Jesus comes in. He doesn't solve it by running out. He solves it by saying, whatever I say to you, you do it. He takes over. And he just phenomenally transforms the whole situation. And they, they saw his glory. So this is a new day. This is different to a, a glory cloud over a tent. It's a human being walking into our social life with all its pains and problems and tensions and, and, and fears and coming and manifesting his rule tenderly, kindly, saying, do what I tell you to do, and I'll solve it for you. We had lots of people come up here earlier in the meeting. Thank you this, thank you for this, thank you for this. He comes into our world, and we see his glory. So Jesus is here. He's coming, and he's manifesting the glory of God. No man, it says in John, no man has seen God at any time. This one, who was, who was in the bosom of the Father, he has made him known. He's revealed God to us. The word is exegesis. It's the word, it's the word preachers are supposed to do, exegete the passage. Exegete means open it up, explain it. No man has seen God at any time. Jesus has explained him. Philip says, show us the Father. Just look, he that's seen me has seen the Father. God coming right down amongst us, manifestly, phenomenally, in people's lives, in their marriages, in their parties, in their weddings, in their panic, solving it. God in the midst of us, this wonderful person. Jesus coming amongst us, coming amongst us. God revealed in his son, perfectly revealed. I love what it says at the beginning of, of Hebrews. I love Hebrews chapter 1, the opening passage. It says, God has spoken in many ways in the past through prophets and different ways. In these last days, he's spoken through son. Some Bibles put the word his. It doesn't say his in the text. It actually just says son. He spoke in son. He spoke in a language we could understand. Came, became a human. He spoke, it's, like, it's like I preach overseas sometimes. I'm probably going to Mexico in February. You know, I'll stand up and I'll speak and people will look at my mouth moving. And then the guy will translate into Spanish and they say, oh, that's what he's saying. He spoke in Spanish. God's spoken in son. He's spoken in language we can understand. People we, and so John says, we handled and touched. The, word, the life was manifest. We beheld him. I leaned on him. I can imagine his hands trembling when he wrote and said, you know, we handled the word of life. I leaned on God. No one has seen God, but God has come in this wonderful way. And it says here, he is the radiance of the Father's glory. What does radiance mean? Well, we've had some great weather lately, but normally in England, you don't get so much sunshine. <laughs> but what you can get is a gap in the clouds. You know, you're, you're, dri- you're driving up the motorway and you suddenly see a, a sunbeam. Uh, and uh, this is it. It's the ra- you can't look at the sun. Ah, you can't. It blinds you. No one has seen God at any time. But you can see radiance he's the radiance now what is that radiance actually it is God it's the radiance of God but we can't kind of look direct but we can see he's he's the outshining of the radiance of God and then it says this next phrase it says he is the exact image exact image he's you see what is God like well we've got an exact image 
It's the same thing when, when, when Jesus was asked, do we pay taxes? He says, give me a coin. Who's, who's, whose image is that? And they say, Caesar. What does that mean? It means sometimes somebody took some molten metal and got a stamp with Caesar's head on it and stamped it. And that is the exact image. The exact image. The exact image. What's there is there now. Jesus is the exact image. So you might say, what is God like? Who can know what God is like? We know exactly what he's like. See, we don't have to have mystical, I wonder what God is like. We know. He that has seen me has seen the Father. He's the exact image. So, you know, we know what Jesus' attitude, we know what the, we know what the disciples' attitude with the kids was. Get these kids out of there. No, bring them to me. What his attitude was to a woman taken in the act of adultery, throwing her at his feet. We know exactly what the Father thought about that. Jesus, the exact image, the exact image. I don't condemn you. Go and don't sin anymore. The Pharisees, the disciples, we see Jesus. Jesus is showing us the Father. You want to know more about God? Look at Jesus. I was once at one of our churches, and the guy was uh, giving testimony just before I preached. And um, uh, they were trying to introduce people to Alpha and enthuse people to go. And this guy standing there with his wife. He's got this little baby in his arms. And he's a huge, great guy, a rugby player or something, massive guy. And uh, his wife's there. And he says this. He said, you know, she believed, I didn't believe. And then he said, then we had this baby. And I, I, I looked at this baby, I looked at his eyes. I thought, there's got to be a God. But how do you know what God's like? So he said, you know, I started going to Alpha, and I learned about Jesus. And now he was a Christian. You know, all sorts of things can make you think, maybe there's a God. But we know what that God is like. Jesus shows us. He's the exact image. He's the likeness of God. And so here, in Jesus, you know, of course, there was that day that Jesus blew it, wasn't it? When he went to the temple, and uh, there were were animals there, the money-making, and he kind of lost it and turned the tables over and made a whip and drove them all out. And I guess that night he said, sorry, Father, I really blew it today. No, no, no. (laughs) He is exactly showing us. Exactly showing us what the father thought about that. This money-making foolishness. Even actually in Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, God says, I wish someone would shut the doors and stop this. And Jesus comes and he's the outworking, he's the showing, he's showing us God. So here's this one, he's coming, he's amongst us, he's revealing the father, he's speaking to us. He's come amongst us, he's the radiance of God. He says to Philip, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What our eyes have seen, what our ears have heard, what our hands have handled. And these men, for three years, lived with God. Just ponder that. eh? These are ordinary guys, fishermen, tax collectors, others. Jesus has invited them to be with him. And, And they've spent their days with God. I want you to kind of imagine what it was like for them. They were just ordinary guys, and they heard this magnetic call, follow me. And they were arrested, and they, and they, they lived their lives with Jesus. And, and imagine what it was like. Imagine you kind of wake in the morning, and it says Jesus had nowhere to lay his head. In other words, he often slept rough. 
And uh, so the disciples would have slept in the open air. You kind of wake up and say, where's Jesus? Oh, he's over there praying. It won't be long, I guess. I wonder what's going to happen today. You know, about last week, I couldn't believe what he did. I couldn't believe it. Those lepers. I mean, he, he walked amongst them. Oh, everyone's running away. When he stopped that funeral, I thought, wow, wasn't that amazing? And then when he did this, he did, I mean, they just wonder what today's today. What's going to happen today? What about when, when he went up that mountain and, and then 5,000 followed him, it says? And Carson says probably 20,000, because there's 5,000 men, women, and children. 20,000 on a mountain. And he says he taught them and healed them, and they slept up there. Then he taught them and healed them the next day, and they slept again. The third day, it says he healed them all. We mentioned this last evening. He healed them all. 20,000 people. That's a fair-sized town. And there's no one sick there. It's all gone. He's, he's, he's among them. He's, uh, he's, imagine they're talking about it. Wasn't it a staggering? And then, of course, the disciples said to Jesus, you better send them away. They'll be hungry. They've been with us for three days. They haven't eaten anything. And Jesus says, what do you got? And they said, well, I've got a loads of fishes. You feed them. Feed them? See, what happened with these guys is that they're not only observing Jesus, they are being drawn into Jesus' world. You feed them. What are you talking about? And Jesus blessed it and broke the bread and gave it. So he gives some to Peter, some to Andrew. You, know. feed, you feed them. So you imagine Peter saying, okay, well, it's a bit for you, a bit for you. Wait a minute, what, what's happening? What is happening? What is happening? Wow, wow. And Peter and these apostles are going out and they're, they're feeding, they're giving away, and they're saying, man alive, what's happening here? This is so exciting. It's like at the very first sign, you pour out what has become wine. You do it, you pour it out, you give them the bread. And Jesus is drawing these guys into his world. This kingdom is breaking out. When you do what he says to you, do it. And you find, hey, what is happening here? I am being brought into this kingdom that this one has come amongst us to initiate. The king has come. And he's bringing in this world. He's bringing in this phenomenon, these ordinary people. Fishermen. Can't even catch fish till he says, throw the net the other side. Wow, all these fish. He's, he's bringing them into a world of possibility of God's with us. An amazing experience. And then, beloved, we come to this verse, which I read alone at first. John thirteen thirty three. Little children, I'll be with you a little longer. Now, I don't know about you, but I must have read that. I suppose hundreds, thousands of times over my Christian life. But I wonder if you've ever read it like Simon Peter would have heard it. I don't think I had. I think you don't kind of hear it like he would have heard it. Because when you became a Christian, I remember the night I became a Christian, it was said to me, you, know, you can have God with you. You know, you'll have God with you. And I took that on board, that God's been with me ever since kind of thing. But Simon Peter, who heard Jesus say, follow me, and followed him, heard him say to him one day, I won't be with you much longer. I'll, with you, I'll be with you a little longer. I just want to ask you to hear that for a minute. 
But this world where I'm feeding people, where I'm listening, I mean, this sublime teacher, this amazing man. It says, it says about the Pharisees, they sent guys to go and take him. They came to take him. They listened to him. They go back empty-handed, and they say, so? They say, no man ever spoke like this man. And they're listening to him every day. It's profound love and wisdom and power and healing and purpose and understanding of God. I mean, this one, we're spending our days with God. And he says, I'm going. Tomorrow I'll be gone. You what? Imagine what it was like for Simon Peter. I won't be around much longer. What? What? What's tomorrow going to be like then? Without you? A day without you after all these days with you? It's just absolutely unspeakable. What do you mean you're going away? I I wanted you to kind of feel the panic. And that's why I jumped straight into chapter 14. Don't your heart be troubled. That's the context. Don't let your heart be troubled. We're going to open it up a bit. It's like, I'm going away. You're going away? See, what is Christianity for Simon Peter? Oh, you've become a Christian, Simon Peter. Good. Well, we meet on Sundays at the Irish place. And Wednesday night, if you like, you can come along and, you know, now you're a Christian. That's, that's not what it was for Simon Peter. It's like, I get to be with Jesus every day. That's what it's like. That's what it is. I get to be with Jesus every day. I'm going, you're going away? I left everything to be with you. What's to be a Christian? It's to be with Jesus all the time. That's the deal, isn't it? Isn't that the deal? I left my nets to be with you. What do you mean you're going away? I signed on. You're right. You're going it's horrific. I mean, it's absolutely horrific. I to live a day without Jesus. I can't imagine it now, having lived time with you, and now you're going. And then Jesus says this, don't let your heart be troubled. And he says, I won't leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. What you say? I won't leave you. I'll come. Oh, you're coming back. Oh, it's okay, guys. It's okay. It's all right. He's coming. Jesus, you will never say things like that again. <laughs> Scared the life out of me. It's okay, he's coming back. Don't know what he's on about, but he's coming back. <gasps> he's coming back. Thank God for that. Imagine life without Jesus. I can't, I can't imagine life without Jesus now. That's Simon Peter talking. But he's coming back. It's okay, he's coming back. <sighs> See, what is the church? Is the church a group of people with a kind of fading memory? Or what it used to be like when Jesus was here. You remember when he said that? Oh, that was wonderful what he said. Hey, you better write that down. Oh, yeah. Jesus said that. Oh, very good. Yeah, wonderful. You remember that one. And do you remember when he did that? Oh, write it down. Don't forget. Yeah, write it down. He did that as well. Oh, man. We mustn't forget that one. So the church is a group of people with a book about a lot of stuff it used to be like when God used to be with us. And it's kind of fading memory of what it used to be like when God was with us. I don't think Simon Peter could have handled it. You're going away? Sorry, coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back. So if I've read the verse, I'm going away, and without noticing what it means, what have I read when it says, it's okay, I'm coming back? What do you think it means? What do you think it means when it says, I will return? I will return. It's interesting, if you read the commentaries, and I've got lots of commentaries on John's Gospel, 
And you'll find they say things like this. As Westcott, and lots of them say the same line, he says this. The fulfillment of the promise began at the resurrection. And the promise was potentially completed at Pentecost. And it is to be crowned by his coming in judgment. No one application of the praise exhausts its meaning. It's like, it could be this, could be this, could be this. And you'll find similar in the NIV study Bible notes, for instance. Could be this, could be this, could be this. Now you can write that in the 20th century, 21st century in your notes. Could be this, could be this, could be this. If you're Simon Peter, that won't do. That really won't do. What do I mean? Well, when they say it could be the resurrection, just again put yourself in Simon's place. It could be the resurrection. Well, the resurrection is wonderful, isn't it? It's absolutely breathtaking. It's, it, I mean, you imagine, it's interesting, Ma- Mary Magdalene, who once God delivered her and she was saved, she hung around with the apostolic crowd. I mean, she's there. She's with Jesus every day. She's used to being around Jesus. And then they killed. And, and, and you see him going, her going to the, the, to the tomb, and you hear this kind of heart-rending cry because he's not there. And it's like, I want to be with him even if he's dead. I can't imagine a day without him. If, it, I just, if I can only just be with the corpse, I can't live a day without being with Jesus even if it's a corpse. And she's going to the corpse, and the corpse is gone. And you hear this cry, they've taken away my Lord. I don't know where they've put him. Mary. (gasps) Master. He's alive. Wow. I mean, it's hard to imagine. He's alive again. He's alive again. But he's only around for 40 days. I can imagine Simon Peter as he goes up into heaven saying, You said you wouldn't leave us. So I don't think the resurrection is it. Wonderful though it is. I don't think it's it. And then again, some say, well, it could be the end of the age. He's coming again. I'm in my own devotional life, just reading through Romans 8 at the moment. It's wonderful. The whole age, longing for, waiting for, the revealing, the coming of Jesus. You think, yeah, of course it's wonderful. It's wonderful to know, in an age like ours, we think, what's happening in the world? What's happening? The economy's all over the place. The climate's breaking up. The ozone layer's going down the pan. Muslims are taking it. What's going to happen to our world? Well, Jesus is coming. Hallelujah. It's great to know that. I mean, it's great news to know that he reigns, he's coming, he will bring everything to a conclusion. That's wonderful news. It's like saying to Simon Peter, look, don't worry. You know, in about three or four thousand years, I'm coming back. What? Three or four thousand years? <laughs> what about tomorrow? You said you wouldn't leave us. You wouldn't leave us. And so Hendrickson, who's a kind of conservative reform scholar, he says this, what Jesus means is my departure won't be like that of a father whose children are left as orphans when he dies. In the spirit, I am myself coming back to you. When the spirit is poured out, Christ truly returns. This only can be explained that the disciples are not left as orphans. 
when the Spirit comes. Now, I, I, I'm taking it all on this journey to, to help us see what it meant when the Spirit came. I can imagine on the day of Pentecost, there's this kind of hurricane in the heavens, a mighty rushing wind and, and fire. I can imagine Simon Peter saying, He's back! He's back! He's back. God's back. See, I'm sure that these apostles would be like Moses saying, if your presence doesn't go with us, we don't want to go anywhere. And sometimes Christians will settle for, well, you know, God used to be around. We've got a Bible now that tells us what it was like when God was around. But the early church wasn't like that. The early church was, he's back. He's back. And that was manifested in his presence being among them. The phenomenon of the presence of God. It's one of the things that God's put on our hearts to build churches that are open to the presence of God. I know for myself, when I got filled with the Spirit, those years ago, the so-called charismatic movement began, and that sense of, God, you're here now. You're here in a way I've never known before, and amongst us like I've never known before. And see, some people said, well, you know, if you must have that stuff, that's your private thing, and you can go to conferences if you like, but don't mess with the church. We are, we're, this is the church. We don't, don't mess with the church. This is the way we do church. And something in my spirit said, no, that won't work. God wants a new wineskin. God wants a church where its presence is known, when we know he's here. It's like it says in Psalm 107. It says they were in a wilderness, the rain came, there was a river. They built the city round the river. That's how you build cities, round rivers. London, Paris, so many cities are built round rivers. You build the city of God round the river of God. This stream makes glad the city of God. And people were saying to us, now this is where we do church. If you must go out to this stuff, you can go out to your conferences a bit, but don't mess with church. We thought, no, 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 you must build the city round the river. And there's a wonderful sequence in that psalm. It says, they built the city, then they planted, then there was a harvest. Get the city round the river first. Let the church be round the presence of God first. Then we can plant seeds, then we can have a harvest. God wants a city. God wants a people that live in the presence of Jesus. And the Spirit coming, beloved, means God's back with us. That's, that stirred me in praying for the sick more than before. We talked about this last night. I'm not going to go into lots of things I said, a little bit of overlap. I expect more to happen than I used to. Because Jesus, I won't leave you orphans. I will come to you. I'll come to you. I'll be among you. It's not just a church, it's not just a group with a kind of fading memory. Do you remember what it was like when Jesus was with us? We gather to his presence. We gather full of expectation that he'll do what he wants to do. He's back, he's amongst us. Amen? He's amongst us with power and glory. You know him, it says. He will be in you. It's a change. It says, look, I'm in the Father, the Father's in me. It says earlier in the chapter. When the Spirit comes, when the Spirit comes, then you'll know I'm in the Father, the Father's in me, and I am in you. At the moment, I'm in the Father, the Father's in me. When the Spirit comes, woof, we are not just going. See, like Mary Magdalene, she said, you're alive. Jesus, don't cling, don't cling. You're going to get to know me in a new way. 
It's not going to physical clinging. Now, I'm going to come amongst you in an awesome, awesome way. And sometimes people will settle with, well, he's omnipresent. But omnipresent doesn't mean God thinly spread everywhere. He was in the church. I can imagine Pilate saying, what's happened at the gate? That cripple's jumping up and down. I thought I killed that Jesus. And what's Stephen doing? And what's Philip doing? What's going on here? I thought I killed him. There's people getting healed all over the place. All the apostles were doing great signs and wonders. And many of them said, what? I thought I killed him. He's back. Beloved, he's back. He's back. He's with us. And then one last thing before we finish this. I'm saying that that verse means the coming of the Spirit. I won't leave you, I'll come to you. I believe it's the coming of the Spirit, like Hendrickson said. I believe he's right. But just notice this at the beginning of the chapter as well. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in my, uh, in my Father's house are many dwelling places, many rooms. And if it were not so, I'd have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again to receive you to myself. Where I am, you may be also. What do you think that means? It's like we've read these verses many times, haven't we? I'm, I go to prepare a place for you. What? Try and think again about the context of these words. Because sometimes we take verses out of context, don't we? Like, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. That's a good verse. We'll stick that one you know, up on the wall. Don't let your heart be troubled. Good, thanks. A good word, Jesus. No, it's in a context. It's in a context. And it says, it says, I go to prepare a place for you. There's a room for you. Now, what do we think? Oh, it means when I die, there's a great big mansion in the sky, and Jesus is getting a room ready for me. He's kind of giving it a fresh look of paint, and he's pushing up the cushions, getting this room ready for me. I'm not sure it means that. Eh? See, Jesus uses language. It's like he says, I am the true vine, you're the branch. That's the next chapter. Imagine the disciples looking at one another, thinks he's a tree now. <laughs> he uses picture, I'm a branch, I'm a tree, you're the branch. I'm going to get a room ready for you. In my father's house, many places, I, I'm getting a place ready for you. And if I get a place ready for you, I'll come again. Well, we just said later in the chapter, where it says, I'm coming again. It means the Holy Spirit. It means the Holy Spirit. What about if it means the Holy Spirit at the beginning? And Jesus is saying to us, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I prepare this place for you, my Father's presence, I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you can be. The Holy Spirit comes and brings us into another world, into the presence of God, into the presence. I will come and receive you to myself. When I saw that, that way, I wrote in the margin of my Bible, every day, Jesus, you're my hiding place. See, even the old psalmist says, I just want to dwell in the house of the Lord. But in the new covenant, that's our experience. Then you will know I'm in the Father, the Father's me, and I'm in you. Paul uses different language. He says this, we have been buried with him. We've been c- 
co-crucified, co-buried, co-raised, co-seated with him in the heavenlies. That's what Paul says. We are seated with him. That's kind of positional teaching. John uses different language. He says, I'm getting it ready, and you can come with me. Be with me. You can dwell with me. You can be in the Spirit with me. Paul says this, my life is hid with Christ in God. We can be with him, beloved. In the Holy Spirit, we can be with him. We are with him. When we gather, we are with him. The Spirit comes to bring us into the presence of God. We live in him. We dwell in him. We fellowship with him. We can daily fellowship with Jesus like Peter did. Because he's prepared this place for us. I don't believe it's when it dies. Peter, we're going on world mission. And when you die, I've got a room ready for you. I think he's saying, I want, you're going to be with me. I'm going to be with you in this new way. I want a fellowship with you. I want, see, sometimes people say, well, you know, being a Christian, when we go to church on Sunday, Wednesday, do you have to pray every day? Do you have to read your Bible? Imagine saying that to Simon Peter. Read your Bible? I want to be with Jesus every day. Of course, the Bible's wonderfully helpful and praying is appropriate. But it's doing everything in the presence of Jesus. It's living our lives with him. He's prepared a new place for us. We are with him in the heavenly places, our spirits. So when, we, when Jesus said, when you, when you, you know, go to your room, shut the door, be with your Father. The Holy Spirit brings us into the presence of God. We live with Jesus. We're with him. We celebrate with him. He's not a fading memory. He's in our lives. If his presence doesn't go with us, we don't want to go anywhere. But if his presence goes with us, all things are possible. He's with us. He manifests his love to us. He wants just, as I close here, we break bread in a moment. Maybe you've let things drift a bit. Maybe the thought of not particularly being with Jesus for a few days isn't a big issue, really. But just imagine for these guys to not be with Jesus now when you've been with him every day. The thought of, the thought of his not being there would have been heartbreaking for them. For Mary, Magdalene. I, I want to be with Jesus. I want Jesus to be with me. Maybe this morning we just want to come, even as we come and break bread and say, Lord, please just renew, renew my fellowship with you. Renew that personal seal of it, the, the sense I'm with you, you're with me. And, and because he's here, we can, we can pray for one another as well after we've broken bread. And He's here. All things are possible. All things are possible. We heard last night things that Jesus has been doing lately because he's still here. He's amongst us. He's here with power. He won't leave us. He'll manifest his loving presence. Let's stand to pray. Just feel... It's just a passing thing which I wasn't going to speak about, but felt drawn out earlier in the meeting. Talking about a wedding that was coming a bit unstuck, like the wines run out. And Jesus, Jesus invaded that marriage and made it all new. And the key came with whatever he says to you. 
He's, he's happy to solve domestic problems. He's, he's happier doing that than hurling himself off the temple. He, he wants to come into our lives. He wants to help us in our marriage. He wants to free us from fear, anxiety, the terror we're, we're running out. We're running out. We're in trouble. Jesus can change that. But the way he changes it is whatever he says to you, do it. Don't just panic. We're running out. It's secret at the moment. No one knows about it at the moment. I've just maybe told one friend, like at this wedding, someone told Mary, under the surface, we're in trouble. Happily, it came to Jesus, and he solved it. See, he'll do that. He'll heal bodies, but he heals marriages too. He does. He comes into our life. He's come into our life. He's come that we might have life in all its fullness, not just have meetings in all their numbers, but right into our lives. He wants us to live with him. I won't leave you orphans. I'll come to you. Jesus, we welcome you. We love being with you. Thank you for this church that centers in being with you. Holy Spirit, thank you. You know us so well. Please meet with us as we break bread together now. Come freshly. Meet with us. Renew faith. Maybe you want to ask someone to pray with you. I don't know how you do things here. But let's just be ready to meet with him. And then a little later, maybe we can pray for the sick as well. But over to you, okay?